Grab a seat, you hoodlums, my fellow Americans, and whoever else is here, sit down. It's good. Listen, I'm competing against this sun getting hotter and that smoke smelling better. All right, so we've got a, we've got a shot clock on today, and I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, so let's get cooking. Um, today, uh, we're going to break our regular habit, our habit here at the church uh, and the preaching is to go straight through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And uh, what's coming next in the Gospel of Mark got me studying uh, about freedom. And it kind of fit to maybe do an introduction uh, to that to prepare us for the next couple of weeks after this. And it wasn't uh, necessarily awful scheduling that happened on the 4th of July. All right. Um, and so we're going to just kind of take a break. And I want to look at today um, freedom in Christ which is the opportunity to not only be righteous, but to do what is right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that and argue that freedom is drastically different than rebellion and even how the American culture will define freedom and the way that the Bible will talk about freedom are two different things, all right? And uh, let me lead in with just a little bit of this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember being a kid and now I have kids and there's a phase in which when you have a small child, you actually come, listen to me, mamas, to enjoy holding them. Anybody? Like when you had a baby, like you just, and, you know, even holding other people's kids even better because you get to give them back, right? That diaper's not for me. It's for you. And so, like, there's a thing where mamas get to hold babies. Do you remember when your baby got too big to hold? Anybody? And you're sitting in your chair and all of a sudden you tried to hold that baby and it's 13 and it's the size of a baby moose. And that just ain't happening, all right? You're going to throw your back out holding that child. There's a point in which that kid will squirm and you want to hold them and the kid's like pushing back against. They want unrestrained, they wanted a little bit more freedom as they got older. Or how about some of our parents in the house that have teenagers and they go from wanting to ride their bike a couple blocks down the street to wanting your car keys, Right? That they, and do you remember when you got the car keys and the freedom that in your mind you thought, I can drive anywhere in the world? I mean, you have $17 to your name, and in today's economy, that buys you like four miles worth of gas. But like in your mind, you could go anywhere. And like the world was endless possibilities. Or even some of us, when we got into adulthood, we went into college where we didn't have some of the oversight and restraint and boundaries that our parents had for us. And we got into, from my experience, like I got into drugs and drinking and sexual immorality. And I, I began to think that freedom was truly being able to do whatever I wanted to do. And, and, and that, that plunged me into all types of bondage. Because then you get addicted to those drugs and you can't go to sleep without them. You can't have a good time unless there's drink involved. And so your freedom was completely dependent upon the kind of circumstances you have. And, and I think for some of us here that are Christians, we could say that until Jesus gave us a freedom on the inside, our circumstances like really were, were, couldn't help us at all. And so I want to I get into that. Like how God comes and says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free and how that is drastically different 
than what our flesh or our culture is going to try to sell to us. At our deepest, I want you to track with this at the very least. At our deepest, when you watch Braveheart and you hear William Wallace yell freedom, there's something that perks up in you. Like when you see a people being oppressed and set free, if you're alive at all and not dead on the inside, you say, he yells freedom and you get goose pimples. You know what I'm saying? Or you read Maya Angelou while the cage bird sings. Or you hear Martin Luther King Jr. say, I want to hear freedom ring from the mountaintops. And there's something about external freedom that says, I want to be freest in the deepest possible places inside of me. I think that freedom is central to the longings of our soul. Some of us here have bondage in the form of our bodies. Where because of disease or handicap or old age or bad football injuries, we just can't move like we once moved. And on the inside, we want to be free of a body that limits us. Or for some of us, we got like habits and addictions that we just can't break and we long to be free from them. Right? Some of us have circumstances in our life, in our marriage, in our money, in our job. And we just, we feel so, you hear what I'm saying? Like oppressed and beat down and in bondage. And I'm going to say that before any of those external circumstances should change, the first thing that God comes to change inside of you is your heart. All right, that's my argument. Let's pray, dive into the Bible and see what the Lord might do among us. You with that? All right, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. God, you are the liberator. You are the deliverer and you are the medicine. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. That they would hear the truth and that the truth would set them free. God, that we might come to understand just an iota what you mean when you say. That Christ has come to set us free. God, each one of us is bringing baggage into this gathering. We're bringing sin into this gathering. And so would you be the chain breaker again? Would you open our eyes to see the things that control us, that pull us, that tug us, that move us? And any of those things that are not of you, would you, would you cut the ties that we have with them? God, I pray for deep breaths of fresh air spiritually and those gathered here. We know it's not coming apart from the gospel in Jesus Christ and from repentance. And so, God, would you give us the kind of hearts that don't rebel against your liberation, but, God, that sing praises in light of it. We love you. We ask that you be over our time here in the strong name of Jesus, everyone said. Amen. Open your Bible, if you got it, to Genesis chapter 4. I want to start and kind of give you a big arching picture of how the Bible is going to describe sin as slavery. But first, I think it's worth probably doing here to give you a little bit of working definition of where I'm coming from so that when you're looking at it, you kind of get an idea of what my argument is. Freedom in Christ is the joyful opportunity to do what is right. 
Church, freedom and rebellion are not the same thing. The Bible is going to say freedom is a good thing. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft in the prophets. Freedom and rebellion are not the same thing. Re rebellion can be throwing off of illegitimate and legitimate restraints. Freedom is throwing off illegitimate restraints that are sin inaugurated and not from God. The two are different. And so I, I like what John Piper says about this. True freedom is doing what you want and that also happen to be the right thing to do. Doing what you want and it being evil is not freedom. Okay? So my argument is going to be God created you for freedom, but that is going to have righteous restraints, not illegitimate ones. Does that make sense? Um, and this is kind of funny because we think we're such a rebellious people. Like because... In our culture, it's cool to do drugs, it's cool to party, it's cool to live for the flesh, to live for money, to live for your job, which is literally what everybody's doing. If everybody's doing it, how is it still rebellion? Right? I love what um, Pastor Driscoll says about this. He says, one of the most radical, maybe rebellious things you could do to our culture is like, read your Bible, pray, get married, and raise your own kids. Right? That's the only American rebellion that's left. It's like, I don't know, go to church? I, I don't know here, all right? But the, the argument here is, is that freedom is not only the desire to do what you want to do, but also that that desire aligns with what the right thing to do is. Church, the, the reality is, is that, as Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody, right? No, nobody knows who Bob Dylan is? He, Bob Dylan is this guy that he made all of us think that we can sing, Right? <laughs> I, and, and I'm looking at you, Dave, Rick. People come to church and say, oh, I can't sing, you know, so I, you know, I, I don't sing. It's like Bob Dylan sang in front of like everybody and was not scared, all right? Um, so you're free in Christ. You're going to serve somebody. So let, let me break this down and, and make an argument from it. You were created as a human to live on earth and to breathe air, amen? Breathe a little air and say amen. All right, good. Okay, yeah, so you're with me. So I'm not, this isn't a biology class. I'm just, this is a softball, all right? You were created to breathe air. You were not created without any help to live at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, at the bottom of the ocean, amen? Or how about this? I don't care if uh, the Amazon dude, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk makes it to the, like, moon or to Mars first. Doesn't matter. You were not created to live in space, if you live in space, you have to have something there, a suit, to help you live and exist there because you can't breathe and exist in that space. Now, you may say, I want total freedom up on Mars in the colony that Elon Musk is building with Bitcoin or whatever, all right? But if you rip off the suit, you rip off your space suit, Neil Armstrong, what's going to happen in that moment is you're going to suffocate, right? So here's the deal. Some restraints keep you alive. Some boundaries, the suit around you is a boundary. Some boundaries keep you alive. And the absence of that boundary, or we could talk about this like morality, the, the right ways to live, is actually a form of self-suffocation. Do you see what I'm saying? So true freedom is being on earth 
and being able to eat barbecue because you can breathe the air. Do you hear what I'm saying? So this is my argument is that it's like you're going to serve somebody. The best way to understand freedom is to be free to desire what is right and do what's right in a world that you were created to exist in. God knows you. He knows how the world works. He knows how sex works. He knows how money works. He knows how relationships work. And if you throw off his ways, you're going to self-suffocate. True freedom is operating within the bounds God created you to operate inside of. And I would argue this is the freest existence you can have. All right. So, thus, I am talking about biblical freedom today, and I am not talking about American freedom. American freedom has this idea of, like, self-determination. That is not, listen, 10,000 years from now, in eternity, when America is a footnote in history, and, like, Nicolas Cage has stolen the Constitution or whatever, like, America won't matter. The cross will matter. Do you hear me? Eternal freedom matters. I'm thankful for the temporary freedom that we got in America, amen? Like government ain't, they can't kick in the door because we're outside. They're kicking in the tent or whatever. We have freedom here and praise God for all that external freedom we have. But without internal freedom, what does it matter? So I'm, I'm fighting for your 10,000 times 10,000 year from now freedom. Let's look at where the bondage started in the Bible in chapter 4 of Genesis. Chapter 4 of Genesis, Adam and Eve have fallen. Sin has, like a plague, invaded the whole world. The whole world fractures and breaks. Now we're going to look at their kids. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and if you know the Bible, that's a special kind of knowing. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Which is, by the way, ladies, if you get to have a male child, I think this is the awesomest verse to quote in the Bible. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Um, That's what I spoke over my children. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Always the second kid doesn't get as cool a verse. All right. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and a cane a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard. He accepted. He's in for Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he has no regard. Now, first off, I can't dive into all of this, but let me just say the conflict has to do with worship. Two different people come into God and worship. One's accepted and one is not. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And God says in verse 7, or sorry, verse 6, and he said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Let me say this, if you're one of these people in here that are hotheads that can't control your emotions and the anger constantly gets control of you, I wonder what God would do if he saw your anger. I wonder what kind of questions he would ask. The Bible is brutal when it comes to our out-of-control anger that guards our sin. He questions it. God comes to him and questions his anger. Why is your face fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin, look at how it's described, is crouching at the door. It's a booby trap. Its desire is for you, uh, contrary to you, but you must rule. Listen to that language. Rule over it. So here's the thing. Either you 
are ruling over sin and doing well, or sin is ruling over you and it's not going so hot. Do you see that, that paradigm right there from the Lord? Sin is trying to exercise domain over you and it crouches at your very doorstep. That is how the Bible is going to begin to describe sin as a form of slavery, rulership, a bondage to it. Now, for you guys that have paid attention in your Bible class, you may not know much about the Bible, but you probably know the Exodus. Do you realize that in the Exodus, God's people are taken into slavery in Egypt, and God, with a mighty outstretched arm, which is a picture of Jesus, rips them out of their bondage and slavery, right? Baptizes them at the Red Sea, teaches them the word of God 40 years from Mount Sinai in the wilderness, anoints them at the Jordan River to go in and do ministry. The New Testament is going to say that the Exodus is, in the Old Testament, outwardly a picture of what happens to every Christian inwardly. We are enslaved to sin, and God curses the gods of Egypt that we are under so that we might be free to come out and serve him. In Exodus 8.1, 9.13, and Exodus 10.3, the same phrase happens. Let my people go, he says, that my people could come out and serve me. See, you are delivered from something to him. You are delivered from what is worshipped in Egypt to white-hot adoration of the one who rightly deserves your everything. Let my people go that they could come serve me. Right? I mean, Moses goes full Charlton Heston here. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knows who Charlton Heston is. He, he works for the gun people, I think, right? Is he alive? Ooh, I might have, should have researched that. Okay, RIP if he's not with us, sorry. Um, if he is, uh, keep going, all right. Um, Exodus became the first and central motif for the people of God about what it means to serve God. To turn from our enslavement, by the way, enslaved people, enslave people. Freed people, free people. And so the sin of an individual like Cain quickly becomes the sin of us in Egypt. And so this is the meta-narrative. The picture is that sin equals bondage. And when God's people sinned, they lose their freedom. Isn't this why the judges have to be sent to them over and again? Because they would get into some big piece of stupid and God would have to send a deliverer to get them out of it. The prophets preached it that if you disobey, if you sin, you will go into slavery. And history illustrated that's exactly what they did. I mean, have you ever read the Old Testament and kind of read? It's like, when are we going to break this cycle? Right? Like, you're like are you seriously going to go back to worship in statues? And God's just going to be gracious and deliver you and you're going to run right back? So this is the pattern that is in the Old Testament. And this is why in the exile, they're going to end up in Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. Those captivities are an outward sermon from God to say, if you sin, you will be captured by it. And God's deliverance is to bring you out of that hot mess. All right, so God's people, when they sin, they lose their freedom. God then, in the Old Testament, is a cosmic liberator. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. He's a chain breaker. Because of this, in Psalm 118, 5, 
they would come and say, out of distress, I called to the Lord and the Lord answered me and he set me free. They would show up with their hymn book, the Psalms of the Old Testament, and sing about God as a liberator. That when you call out to him, he frees you. Psalm 119 is saying, God, your ways are the path to freedom. There is no freedom apart from God. They would show up to church all the time and sing about the freedom that God gave them. Um, anybody, I, Jenny had never heard this song before. We interact about it. Who's heard the highway hymn? This is an old hymn, He Set Me Free. Anybody know that song? Nobody. Is it just culturally from the South? Nobody knows the song, He Set Me Free? Uh, no. You sing it. Okay. Uh, once like a bird from prison. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Some, it's, it's close to that. Y'all know that song? Y'all are the worst. How about this? How often did our brothers and sisters in Christ who were colonial slaves in America, did they sing... Negro spirituals to help them overcome the oppression of slavery. That somehow they could be outwardly oppressed, but inwardly they were free. Right? And, and what story did they attach to so drastically in the Old Testament? The Exodus. Because they sang like the people of God always have, that I might have outward bondage, but if I got Jesus, I'm inwardly free. So then this, this leads to, in the Old Testament, the prophets talking about God bringing ultimate or superlative deliverance. Not temporal from like a temporary Egypt or Assyria or Babylon, but that there is an eternal deliverance coming. And this gets into Isaiah 61. Look over, at, if you've got a Bible, look over at Isaiah 61. We're gonna, Jesus is going to quote it, and I, I want to read it. So this is the anticipation. If you knew nothing about Jesus, this is what God people were, were reading and meditating on. This is what God revealed to them. Isaiah 61, starting verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. I want to come back to that word anointed. To bring good news. That's literally the gospel. To bring gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those that are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort those who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the faint spirit. Do you realize this is about worship, right? And that they may be called oaks of righteousness, which makes me think of wide earth for whatever reason, I apologize. And the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall be build up the ancient ruins and they shall praise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. This is the freedom that Jesus is bringing into our doorstep. Look at how he describes the bondage. The bondage is poverty. It's a broken heartedness that you can't get over. It's being captured by something. It's a bond. It's a bounding. It's a morning where you just can't weep enough to get over it. It's ruined. 
the picture here is that if your soul has become ugly and deformed by sin, so much so that you think you can't worship, then there's coming this Jesus. There's coming this one who's going to make you beautiful again and release you from what's holding you back from God. Live in anticipation of this. And so that's the last prophets. That's what you would have came to synagogue with every week in your heart is there's one coming. Jesus breaks on the scene. Jesus's name means deliverer. It's from the same root as Joshua. His name means salvation. Yeshua. He is liberator, savior. And there was never anyone that entered history that was like him. You can't put him up next to Mohammed. You can't put him up against Gandhi or Buddha. No one in human history has had more songs sang to him, more art made to him. Nobody in human history has gotten more credit for setting more people free from more stuff. Nobody. And you could take of all the people that have abused his name, not kept his way of life, and misrepresented him, and they still don't outnumber the people who have truly known him and experience exactly what Isaiah 61 says. Can I get an amen there? There's nobody like him. We come every week reveling in the freedom he's done for us and the excellencies of his glory. Jesus breaks on the scene and as a free person, he freed people. Listen to the way he talks in John 8, 31 through 36. This is a sermon. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of America and have never been enslaved, I'm sorry, Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And he answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You hear what Jesus just said? The exact same thing we saw in Genesis, the exact same thing we saw in the Exodus, the same thing the prophet said. Anyone, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because you will have access to everything that Jesus has access to in heaven. Nobody that I know talks like this. Like, I got a decent high opinion of Jacob Posey. Like, he's, he's all right as far as sinful fallen human beings go. He's all right. If Jacob shows up to me and says, If Jacob sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Brother, we got an intervention happening, right? We're going to get some people around you be like, yo, pray for Jacob. He's tripping. He's messed up. Who comes into your life and says, if you abide in my word, you'll have an access to a freedom into God's presence that you wouldn't have otherwise? Only Jesus. And only Jesus can back it up. And so Jesus comes and preached like this with authority. Now, I, I want to... Bring this home in Luke chapter 4, which is the passage Toby read too much of, but he read it. And so Luke chapter 4, flip over there real quick to verse 16. This is awesome when you get it. Luke chapter 4. Verse 
Um, hey, Jenny, you know how I always talk about you should just be on the keyboard playing in the background, and it brings out the sermon kind of like gospel. Ch- we just going to rock Leonard Skinner in the back, it sounds like. Um, so when are y'all going to be free as a bird as this thing's over? <clears throat> and he... <laughs> Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. That's his hometown. Church, I taught you this a few weeks ago. If you want a fuller treatment of this from the Gospel of Mark, go back and get that teaching. Where he had been brought up, and many of us know some of the places we're least welcome is back home in our small town. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day because Jesus attended church. And he stood up to read. So he basically had Toby's responsibility. The same way we have scripture reading in our services, they had him there. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. They have an attendant who brought that over to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, what's so funny is you think in scrolling like this with your thumb. He doing a little of that. You know what I'm saying? It's a, diff- it's a different scrolling. All right. And he scrolls down and he finds the spot of what we just read in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim gospel or good news to the poor, evangelion. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those that are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So he goes to the seat. I mean, picture this in your mind. Reads, goes and sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Have you ever went to church and felt like everybody was looking at you? Right? Like you go up there, you like have to walk on stage and you think everybody's just beaming. He goes and sits down and the people could burn a hole in the back of his head. Right? He's just chilling there. Everybody's eyes fixed on He He reads a specific passage. Because he wants to say a specific thing. And here's what it is. And he began to say to them. This isn't a one-time thing. He begins here, but he's going to say it often. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Think of the most righteous person you know, whoever you think is holy. I'd still argue they're a depraved sinner, but, you know, that's me. All right. Think of the nicest, most righteous person. If they did this, they'd be out of their mind. Jesus comes and says, that passage in Isaiah... Today, you're looking at it. If you're looking at Jesus in the face, you're staring directly at freedom. If you're looking Jesus in the face, you're staring directly at freedom. He says, I've been anointed to preach gospel that sets people free, lets people see. I've been anointed. Now, we don't use that word much in the Baptist church because we kind of surrender it to our creepy, charismatic brethren, all right? Anointing is this incredibly biblical reality. It is the one that has been duly appointed. He's been set apart. Sometimes oil is used as a physical parable of God's anointing. It means God's presence has set somebody apart for something. It is, it is the authority. It is the appointment of someone. Jesus says, I've been appointed to be the one that preaches freedom. And I'm here to bring it. Now, uh, Dr. Evans taught me this and as well as... Uh, Lowe's down in Farmington. During 2020, like three days before COVID hit, we bought a house that was a massive fixer-upper. Apparently it still is, all right? We just, it's never ongoing project. And so we had to just kind of gut this house and do all this construction stuff. 
And in our brilliance, we was like, you know what? Forget Home Depot and Durango. That place is nuts. Let's go to Farmington. Get in on Lowe's. So, I mean, we ordered cabinets and carpet and all kinds of stuff. And when they shut down every other business, those box stores made $14 billion. I mean, they just made so much money because everybody was doing construction. And now, I don't know, what, what is the price of plywood? Like four bars of gold now? Is that what we're at? Like that's, what, that's basically where we're at, okay? Well, this was kind of before that, so everybody was racing to get stuff. They were just overwhelmed. Firing employees, couldn't keep enough employees. The manager quit, okay? And I would find myself not wanting to drive down there, and I would get somebody on the phone. And you get some, like, 19-year-old kid who hates their job on the phone, and you're like, hey, man, y'all messed this carpet up. I need somebody to come fix It's broken. You need to come fix it. And what, if you've ever been in this phone call, what are they going to say? Well, I ain't got the authority to do nothing about that. Right? Well, uh, brother, uh, get me somebody who does. Right? Get somebody. On, and so they call somebody, and that person gets on the phone and is like, yeah, I don't have the authority I don't have the anointing to come fix that. That's exactly the same idea. I'm not duly appointed. That's above my pay grade, right? So I have to go full Karen on them. If you don't get that joke, I'm sorry. And I've got to go like, I need the owner of Lowe's. I need whoever is the CEO of your company to come to my house and fix this carpet, all right? And so you have to work your way up. And eventually I found, I want to shout out, there's an assistant manager of their name, Melissa, she comes to my house and looks at the situation. She had the authority. She had the anointing and looks at it. And she came to my house, which is crazy, and was totally expecting to get cussed out because it was so bad. Like they'd messed it up so royally that they, she was coming to my house kind of like wincing, ready to get. And I said, listen, worse things have happened in the world besides carpet being messed up. You hear what I'm saying? Ooh, that might have struck. Some of you might not be treating your waitresses very well. I'm just going to float that out there. That people are going to mess things up. And sometimes be the most Christian thing we can do is say, hey, i got nothing but grace for you. Let's just fix it, get going. And maybe not like drop four F-bombs on them just because they're trying to do their job. Right? Am I meddling? Is that meddling? Looking over here. Meddling? Okay. It was a great gospel opportunity. But here's the thing that I learned about Melissa. She had authority. She could comp things. She could send a crew out. She could do all kinds of things. She had power in a situation in which I was powerless and the chumps I talked to on the phone were powerless about. That's exactly how Jesus is with your brokenness. You, like Cain, can't be free from it because it rules over you and you can't do well. You need an anointed person that can come and break its authority over you because it is, because Jesus is authority over it. Do you track with it? You need somebody anointed. Somebody with authority. Somebody that can call shots. That can fix and help in ways nobody else can. He is an anointed gospel bringing deliverer. Worship him. Come out of Egypt and serve him. He's the best master you've ever known. He's the best master you've ever known. I love this picture because between Jesus coming and preaching that, 
And you sitting here, maybe breathing that in, that freedom for the first time, there's a whole group of people called church history that experienced it and walked in it before you and stand as an example, an encouragement to you, a cloud of witnesses, if you will, that it's possible for you to be free of stuff that right now, maybe in the back of your head, you're thinking of your porn addiction. You're thinking, there's no way I'm going to be free from that. You're thinking of your addiction that unless you're buying stuff, you don't feel good. And you think there's no freedom from that. You have a depression that sets over you. An anxiety over every stress in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, there's no freedom from that. I would just argue, not only is Jesus' word true, but there's a whole cloud of witnesses of people that have overcome stuff they should not have overcome. And it's only by the name of Jesus. I, wanna, I'm, I could argue that the New Testament letters are... God's leadership in the church trying to teach Christians how to walk in freedom and not go back to the bondage of Phariseeism or paganism and hedonism. That they're trying to disciple them to know what does this freedom in Christ look like. Okay, so let me take an intermission, give you an example. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 are put in jail. Anybody know that story? They get thrown in jail. Christians have a long history of going to jail. It's, it's a thing. So Paul and Silas go to jail because they exercise the darkness and demonic out of a young girl, that demonic activity, some people were profiting from it. So when they deliver the girl from the darkness, the people that were profiting off of it get upset, which by the way, let me just say this, not everybody wants you to be free. Some people that profit off of your slavery want to keep you that way so that they can own you. Paul sets his girl free they get upset. They call the government to get involved. All of a sudden, Paul's getting flogged, all right, thrown into prison. The next thing we find out in the prison, him and Silas are praying, and verse 25 says, singing. If you're paying attention at home, that's, that's worship. Also, just, just so we're clear, prison seems like the opposite of freedom, am I right? I mean, I don't know when you were there last at the drunk tank, but I, like it's the opposite of freedom. So it is for freedom that Christ set us free, what they're doing in prison. But then we see them singing and guards and other inmates listening. What is that? There's a way in which they are outwardly in prison, but they're inwardly free. I would say this, Paul and Silas are the freest people in jail they're more free than the guards and the other inmates church your neighbors are not going to know that freedom unless you share the gospel with them that they come to know it and understand it a freedom that says my outward circumstances could be totally a hot mess but in my heart i'm eternally free you can't you can do whatever you want to the outside of me where i'm free on the inside Christ comes first and foremost for eternal freedom from sin such that our scenery on the outside can change but it does nothing to put chains on the inside of us. Paul and Silas are the freest people maybe that have ever been in that jail. We could compare this to America right now where we have all the outward freedoms, don't we? Freedom of press, freedom of speech, kind of. Right? We've got freedom of religion. We've got, we got these things that are enshrined in the Constitution for as long as we have them. And we have these outward freedoms. 
But how many brothers and sisters, how many friends do you have, how many family members and neighbors do you know that while they are Americans and one of the freest people outwardly on the planet, inwardly, they're slaves. They're slaves to lust. They're slaves to drugs. They're slaves to depression. They're slaves to the opinions of others. There's a way in which, as valuable as the outward freedoms are, they don't profit us anything because even if we have an utopia on the outside of you, if you have a hell on the inside of you, you'll never enjoy it. Whoever has my words, be free indeed. Paul is the most free person in the prison. If you can see who Jesus is, my argument is, is it should be looking freedom right in the face. So I'm going to finish and then I'm going to have them come back up. This is the last point that I'm sure as Americans we've thought about before. Everybody here that understands what our military had to do, what our forefathers had to do, we understand even the outward American constitutional freedoms we have cost. Oh, we have this saying in America, freedom isn't free. It's expensive. It's not cheap. Freedom is net. You look at any people politically around the world that have an element of freedom, it costs blood. Fight. It was tough. People died so they might have even a little bit of external freedom, as temporal as it might last in any country in the world. There is no country that exercises any amount of freedom that that, wasn't ha that didn't have to be fought for tooth and nail. Now, we say that and we understand that politically or when we watch Star Wars or we, we, we look at different parts of history. But church, it's because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shadow. It's an illustration that true freedom costs. In order for you to be free from your sin, it costs Jesus Christ his blood. Your freedom is not free, it's paid for. That when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins, he gave you the opportunity that you might be free. Now, every one of us here knows and would be foolish to say that as he's made that available, that does not mean everybody is free. We, by faith, have to trust him when he, as a liberator, kicks in the door and binds the strong man, we either have to choose to stay with our junk and our sin and with Satan, or we have to leave with Jesus who's come to deliver us. The highest price in the universe was paid that you might know freedom from sin. The God of the universe came as a man and died on the cross for your sin, rising from the grave that you might have life. Would you pray with me? Listen, I, I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at. I don't know the thing that has an icy grip on you that you feel like you can, like it'll never let go of you. What handcuffs you. But I promise you, there's brothers and sisters here that know what the prison of the mind feels like. They know what chains on a heart feel like. And there's tons of brothers and sisters here that would tell you, that they found a freedom in Jesus that's better than any freedom the world had to offer.
If you're here today, the scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe just like the psalm says, you're in distress. And maybe you would just pray that psalm and say, God, save me, deliver me, help me. God's good for it. He stands ready to drag you out of whatever you're in. Maybe if you've got business with the Lord right here, right now, you just, you'd go there. Name the thing that chains you down. Some of us got to be set free from us. I want to pray over you. Christian, if you're here, and as Galatians says, you've fallen back into bondage, my invitation for you, believer, is to repent. Repent back to Jesus. He stands ready. Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, come and manifest yourself to us as deliverer. Right now, for the one that's praying in faith and that's naming their Egypt, naming their bondage, God, would you break the hold it has over them by faith? God, nobody saves like you. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and paid the expense so we might be free. God, for as long as you have us here in this country, in this place as Americans, God, would you make us bold to preach freedom, a freedom in Christ that's better than anything the world has to offer. God, help us to love our neighbors that way. I think for each person here, I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and do in their heart what no man can do in their ears. And then we walk out of here changed. God, I pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Everyone said.